Hi, I'm Dave. And I'm Paul. And we're going to challenge you to transform your financial future through the principles of the most profitable business in the world, banking. We believe everyone should be involved in two businesses, the business that you're in and the banking business. Everyday people can replicate what bankers have been doing for centuries to leverage capital and build wealth through private lending. Join us as we uncover the truths about money, expose lies and myths, and flip conventional financial advice on its head. Here we go. Hey, Paul. Welcome back, buddy. How you doing? Great, man. Just got back from Rhode Island. Phenomenal visit. Picking up the kids. And doing, what, what were you doing there? So we sent the kids up there to spend time with uh, Tammy's parents, and they, oh, live, nice. um, they live on a mooring out on their boat in the summertime. And, of course, when I say that, everyone's like, oh, he's married to a sugar mama. She comes from a ton of money. And Well, listen, they've owned the same boat since 1996, um, and it's a nice boat. They've kept it in really great shape. Yep. Um, but anyway, yeah, they they waited like 25 years to get this mooring because it's on a lot like a, a waiting list, essentially, kind of like Fenway um, Red Sox season tickets. You, have, you know, someone has to die to get one. Oh, yeah, yeah. Gotcha. Um so yeah, we went up there and picked them up, spent a few days with uh, some friends up in Rhode Island and just, just had a ball. Yeah, nice, man. Yeah, I spent the weekend uh, on base, drill weekend, got mm. promoted. Hey, and, uh, look at that, yeah, Lieutenant yeah. Colonel Befford, everybody. Yeah, look at that. Yeah. So now I don't have to call you sir anymore. So <laughs> That's right. Not that I ever did. No. No, you yeah. are older, so I should be calling you sir. That's true. I am your like senior. Five months older than I am. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's get into it, man. This this might be a heated topic for some out there, but it's, it's actually a, a real topic of confusion. So I wanted to start with a question that recently came up on that uh, IBC video that I have out there on YouTube. Mr. DC left a question here, and I really appreciated his question because he seems genuinely interested in, in understanding. But I will, uh, I'll, I'll read this, kind of a long question, but here it goes. DC says, I am curious to understand why IUL, he's talking about index universal life, isn't embraced with this concept, the infinite banking concept. A friend set up an IUL for me seven years ago. I've been able to max fund my policy and in the last seven years have averaged 15.4% rate of return with an S&P uncapped strategy. Earlier this year, I decided to put my cash value in the basic interest account since the market was indicating downside and now earn 3% for the year. Another feature is the index loan I was able to take out in 2019. So just like whole life, you can take back cash value loans against ULs. I was charged 5% for the loan, but my index performance was above 20%. Therefore, my loan arbitrage was positive. Is this also available for whole life? I understand whole life has the guarantees, but how is IUL not recommended for this? It sounds like he just answered his own question. And he, and he says this, IBC. IBC. Yeah, how, why is IUL not recommended for IBC? A sincere answer will be truly appreciated as I'm trying to learn more. Thank you. Thanks for the question, DC, and I hope this episode fully answers your question uh, and and more. So, all right, well, why don't we, we'll, we'll just, we're not going to dissect this right away. We will get, you know, we'll answer this throughout this episode because this episode is going to be all about universal life insurance and why it's not the right fit for the infinite banking concept. So, Paul, how would you start off with uh, with responding to DC? Yes, uh, it's, a, it's a wonderful question, and I've actually uh, I've had at least one client that we did a we basically did an IUL rescue. Um, luckily, it was early, fairly early on. But you know, the, here here it is fundamentally for me: Would you rather have a product that gets more efficient with time and less costly, 
or a product that gets less efficient over time and more expensive and more, you know, more costly? Well, the answer is clear, right, Dave? What, what would you want? Yeah, I want the product that gets more efficient over time and is less expensive, costs me less money as right. time goes on. That makes sense to me. Right. Yeah. And that, that for me is, is the fundamental answer of why universal life is not an appropriate permanent life insurance product. Right. And certainly not a, an appropriate product for the infinite banking concept. Correct. So, yep. yeah, so either, either if, if you want permanent life insurance or if you want to utilize it for IBC, uh, it's not the appropriate product. Um, there may be a place for it, and we'll talk about who uh, Universal Life might be a good fit for later on in the in the show. Um, but I, I feel like it really starts with what was Nelson? Let's go back to Nelson. Nelson Nash. Yep. Nelson Nash discovered the the infinite banking concept. He coined the term infinite banking concept (IBC) for short. Uh, he started the Nelson Nash Institute to make sure that this concept was being taught appropriately and and was uh, re used responsibly. So what does Nelson say in his 92-page book, Becoming Your Own Banker? Well, one of the things he repeats throughout the book, in, in all of his books, is it's all about the way you think. So really, it comes down to why. Like one of the things that you probably do with your clients, Paul, just like I do, is I tell them, hey, the first step is understanding, being educated and understanding why do you want to use this concept in the first place. Right. So it comes back to the why. And if you want to do it to, um, to learn how to finance the things of life and use that as your banking system for financing the things of life, then, then let's do that. But we're going to do that with whole life insurance. Uh, and we'll, we'll talk about why. So it's all about, you, all about the way you think. So what, what else does Nelson have to say about this, Paul? I think we were talking about this before the show and we uh, opened up to to page three. So, yeah. Yeah. Let me, let me just read directly from the book and this is not specifically about universal life, but it, it gets to the, the point of, you know, insurance and investing two different, they're two different things and they ought not be combined. And let me, so let me read this, this book, this is uh, becoming your own banker written in 2000. This book is not about investments of any kind. It is about how one finances the things of life, which certainly can include investments. It's not about rates of return. As time goes by, interest rates are up and interest rates are down, but the process of banking goes on no matter what is happening. It is a well-known fact that banks make more money during times of low interest rates than when rates are high. Hmm. So you said something that's underlined in both of our books. Mm -hmm. uh, it is not about rates of return. That's right. Yeah. So I feel like any time we get into a discussion with somebody who's very pro-IUL, it's always focused on rates of return. Like, look, you can get much greater rates of return inside the IUL product than you can in whole life. And I feel like that's really the only thing they go back to. You know, I would ask the, the agent, does, does an IUL product or any universal life product have some kind of magic sauce that a regular old index fund or, you know, Goldman Sachs indice has or that but those don't, I, it, it can't. Right. It doesn't. Yeah. There's nothing right. magical about it. Right. And, and there's no deals in life insurance, as they say, right. as we repeat. There's only risk management. Right. So let's talk about risk. Yeah. Um, where, 
What do we like about whole life insurance? Okay. So this, my clients have heard this when, we're, when we have these discussions, right? The purpose of any type of insurance is to transfer risk from yourself to the insurance company. Let me say that again, from yourself to the insurance company, right? Universal life does not accomplish that. The consumer, the policy owner, the insured, if he's the policy owner, is assuming all of the risk. And you can talk to any life insurance company. They're going to tell you that. What guarantees does this product have? Minimal, if any, right? So again, transfer of risk, it defeats universal life, fundamentally goes against the whole purpose of any of insurance, in this case, life insurance. Right. Like, yeah. So there's, there's investing and there's insurance. What universal life aimed to do in the eighties when it was created by some, yeah, it was EF Hutton. A, yeah. EF Hutton, who is no longer even around. Yeah. Right. It was created to combine those two things to make it sexy and appealing to the mass market because interest rates were so high at that time. That's right. You could get 12% or something in a CD. And of course, wow, that's, this is great. And sure. They illustrated really well back then, didn't they? Yeah. Yep, exactly. And they illustrate really well today. Sure. Right. But what is an illustration? It's just a piece of paper with numbers on it. It's a piece of paper with numbers on it that oftentimes is the only thing used to sell this to the audience. Yeah. I'm right. I can't get those in front of the guy quick enough. Right. Right. And that's a red flag. If somebody right. if you're working with an agent and the very first thing they want to do is create an illustration for you and walk you through an illustration. That to me is a red flag because that illustration is just what it says. It's a, it, it's an illustration. It's not a guarantee. Yep. It's not a contract. It's not a contract. It states that on the, on the illustration itself. This is yep. not a contract. Um, and the, and there's no guarantees on that. So, right. Um, so going back to the whole rate of return argument, um, it's not about rate of return. It's not about, the return on your money. It's about return of your money. So let's replace on with of. Like with my whole life policy, I'm guaranteed to have access to a certain amount of capital as long as I live. And I'm guaranteed that my premium is never going to increase. What's so, that worth? Yeah, what's that worth later on in life? So as long as I continue paying my level and really decreasing premium because at some point your premium has to decrease. Um, yep, I mean, it's hugging it, that mech line, right? As the years tick by. Right. And, and the, the calculations are done. It says, Hey, you've, you've paid enough paid up additions in this. We have to knock you down and you can only fund this much now. Um, okay. So I have a decreasing premium. Um, you know, at, at worst case, it stays the same. Uh, actually best case, it would stay the same. Uh, because ideally, I want to pay as much premium for as long as I possibly can. Right. That's a different discussion. Yeah. But yes, you are 100% yeah. correct. So return of my money. My money is going to be there. And I'm not so concerned about the rate of return inside my policy. I know, I, I, I know that the cash value is going to increase every day. Uh, I know that death benefit is going to be there when I die. I know how I have access to that cash value. Like with, It doesn't cost me anything no fees, nothing like that to go in and access that cash value uh, through a policy loan. But what I use that for is getting multiple rates of return outside the policy. Yep, that's right. And again, <laughs> you just go back to Nelson Nash. He literally says, 
It is not about rates of return, right? Our focus ought to be just, as you said, what are we doing outside our policy with our guaranteed access to the capital that we've accumulated, right? So I, I'm hoping we're, we're getting to his answer, and there, but there's more. <laughs> oh, there's, there's plenty more, and we probably won't have enough time to get to everything. Luckily, there's plenty of other resources out there we could point you to. But yeah. so let's go back to the risk. What's the real risk of IUL, of universal life? There's Because I preface that with saying everybody's going to say there are guarantees. You're guaranteed to be able to, you know, you can, you can partake in the gains of the market, but you're guaranteed never to be below zero. Right. Right. Well, I think I'm going to I think I'm going to combine a couple of our bullet points here. Uh, the the real risk, right, is as one ages, the cost of cost of insurance goes up. So this is where I'm going to unpack the structure of what universal life is, the chassis, if you will, the frame of universal life is annually renewing term insurance. Well, Paul, what is annually new renewing term insurance? Well, unlike a level term. Uh, where the premiums are fixed for that term of 10 or 20 or 30 years. Universal life, and again, contracts vary, right? So I'm talking very generically here. There might be a guaranteed level premium on a universal life contract for a 10-year period. Maybe it's 15, maybe it's 20 years, right? But at after a certain point, right, as we get closer to death every year, every year we age, the cost of that insurance, that annually renewing term, is going to get more expensive. And we can show people this very simply by just illustrating a term insurance policy on a 60-year-old person versus a term insurance policy on a 30-year-old person. The cost of insurance is exponentially higher in that 60-year-old person, right? So every right. dollar in premium does not produce the same amount of death benefit as it would for someone half their age. Which makes which makes perfect sense, right? Um, so that is the huge that is the biggest risk is that people don't also know what they're buying and they they're paying premiums. I'm max funding my premium as as DC said, and I think I'm doing what I'm supposed to do, and then all of a sudden, I get a letter in the mail saying, "Hey, your policy's about to lapse," and you're and it takes people by surprise because let's face it, most people take their life insurance contract, they stick it in a, the junk drawer. And they don't even know what they have. Well, I think I right. have whole life, or I think I have universal. They have no idea. Well, how right? many and times that, have you talked to somebody who, uh, who you ask them, well, "Do you have any life insurance right now?" Yeah, I do. I've been paying, you know, however much a month for the last eight years. Uh, okay, what kind of policy is that? Um, I, you know, I think whole life. Uh, okay, tell me a little bit. No, that's universal life. Right. Um, so they don't understand. And just like you said, I think there are some very I'm sure there's some very good, there's some very educated agents out there who sell universal life predominantly. And, you know, I'm sure they, uh, like, they're very educated. They know what they're doing. They know, know what they're talking about. Here's my concern is that their clients don't know enough about that policy to really make a, a smart decision. Um, I've never talked to anybody who I say, hey, give me a copy of your Enforce illustration and let me take a look at that and then let's walk through it. Like most of them can't tell you what kind of life insurance they have in the first place. But then once they look at it, they can't tell you anything except, hey, I, I, you know, I, I'll never be below zero. And if the market's up, I get to partake in that. Right. That's how it's sold. Like, hey, there's no, it's all upside, no downside, um, no discussion of risk, no discussion of guarantees, no discussion of what the policy looks like when I'm 75 or 80. Right. And I can't afford the term insurance anymore because 
you know, the premium is now $50,000 for that $1 million term for the year. And yeah, you know, it's, yeah. And, and it's eating up all my cash value. So I can't really access that cash value because I needed to pay the premium next year. And Hey, the longer I live, the worse this gets. Yeah. I don't know if it was on your LinkedIn page the other day where we were having some discussion with a guy about universal life and he, I don't, I don't actually, I don't remember where we were, but James is on there, a few other people. And my question to the guy was, Hey, when can I stop paying premium on this universal life policy? Yeah. And then crickets, and he, think, right? total crickets. Yeah. <laughs> he, didn't, he didn't respond. Yeah. So, so break that down. So you say yeah. you, you can't ever stop paying premium on that universal life. Can you stop paying premium on your whole life? Sure. Okay. Yeah. So oh. we've talked about this before, but this is good. This is good uh, to discuss. So whole life insurance, any type, dividend paying, non-dividend paying, stock, mutual, doesn't matter, has something called reduced paid up insurance, where I can be, let's say I'm 30 years into the policy, 20 years into the pod, doesn't matter. And I say, you know, a client calls you and says, hey, Dave, I don't want to, you know, something's happened. I can't really afford the premium outlay. What are, you know, what are my options? One of their non-forfeiture options where they get to keep the policy, it stays in force, no more premium is required to keep the policy active is reduced paid up, or sometimes referred to as RPU, right, in the industry. Yep. And guess what? That does not exist in universal life, any type. Okay. There is no, there is no non-forfeiture option. You are paying increase, increasing premiums as the years tick by. Once you get outside of that that level premium period, if it if it does exist on your policy. So with whole life, you can continue to pay your premium. Say you don't want to pay it out of pocket. There's there's a few different sure. options. Like you said, you could RPU, but if you want to keep it going, you could just direct the dividend to go to sure. pay the premium. You could take cash value loans to pay the premium. Yep. Um, now, what are what are the ways to keep the universal life policy going? Sure. Well, one thing is you could you could reduce, and this is where the flexibility. That's another sales point. This is so flexible and and so easy. Whole life is so complicated. I think it's the complete opposite. Quite yeah. Honestly. No, I would I agree whole, with you. I think yeah. whole life insurance is like literally the simplest product, financial product out there. It's right? very simple. Yeah. Super when, simple. Yeah. Once once somebody. I mean, read a book, you'll figure it out uh, or have a conversation with us and we can explain it to you very simply. Yep. Yeah. So universal life, any type, I don't care what type you have, you can reduce the death benefit, right? That's one way to keep the policy in for. Oh, I'll reduce the death benefit, right? You can increase your premium to pay for that ever rising cost of insurance. Out of pocket. Right? Out of pocket. Yep. And then you have your, you have your, um, your cash account, right? And you could use kind of like you could use cash values from that. It's not a cash value though, it's a cash account, right? It's a very important distinction. With Universal Life, they have unbundled the savings component of whole life, and then your side account is either whatever, mutual funds or some kind of indice that it's tracking or it's whatever, right? Um, that's the other way you could pay. So reduce the death benefit, increase premium, or diminish the, the side account, or hope that you know the market does 22% every year for the next 30 years, every yeah. year without interruption. So then I'm curious, why, why would I get universal life as opposed to simply just investing in, you know, in an index fund myself? I don't know. I don't, I, I don't know either. I, I, I have told that particular client, I was like, listen, I don't care if you buy a policy for me, but we can rescue this. Or what I, what I recommend you do is this, if you want coverage, Buy yourself a 30-year term policy, super cheap from a, some, from a stock company out there on the market, and invest the difference. And I hate saying that because it goes against everything oh, I believe Oh, that's blasphemy. 
It's blasphemy for an IBC that. guy. Yeah. But I think it would be a better option than buying this universal life where you're just going to likely pay premium for a long time. You think you got this permanent insurance because that's how it's characterized somehow. And then, you know, permanent insurance with a lot of risk to the client. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, the policy lap lapses or it's not what you thought you had. Hey, I thought I was going to leave a million dollars when I was 99. Well, you're you're probably not. I'm not saying it's not possible, but right. that premium outlay is going to be massive. Yeah, it's it's not impossible, but it's not guaranteed. Right. Right. Well, why would you want guarantees in life? You know, why would you want guarantees if they're handed to you on a silver platter? Right. Um, so so let's get into who I mean, you just alluded to, who you know, universal life might be for, like somebody who um, is not concerned with leaving a legacy. Like that's not a, a big priority. They don't need the guaranteed death benefit when they die to leave to their heirs uh, or trust or, you know, a grandchild, what, whatever. Yeah. They're not that concerned with it. What's uh, what would be another characteristic of somebody who maybe if this is you look at, look into yeah. universal life. Yeah. Another type of, you know, high risk. We always hear this anyways, like high risk, high reward, high rate of return potential. That's another, another person. Yeah. So um, like, let's go back to, and that makes a good point. You got to take high risk to get high reward, right? That's one of those common myths, you know, uh, as far as I'm concerned. But when it comes to this, I think that's accurate. You're taking a higher risk to potentially get a higher rate of return on your cash fund. But going back to the fact that there's no deals in life insurance, nope. there's no deals in insurance, period. Love that. So because you have the potential of getting a higher rate of return, you are therefore taking on more of the risk for the performance of that policy. Yeah, no question. And I'll speak to DC here. Um, and I think he should ask his friend as well. I mean, it's, it'll be a good discussion to have, but you are assuming as the consumer, as the owner of a universal life product, you are assuming all the risk, not the company, right? Not the life insurance company that's issuing that policy to you, you the consumer, the owner is assuming all the risk. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. I mean, there's a risk that you die and they pay out uh, more than of what course. you put in, right? So yeah, no that's risk on the insurance company's part, but they mitigate that risk by the rising cost of the annual renewable term insurance. Right. It's get all baked in. Again, they're not, they're not in the business of losing money in the insurance industry. The insurance industry is a very stable, very profitable business. Where again, we've alluded to Warren Buffett buying Geico a number of years yeah. ago. So there's a reason for this. Yeah, well, unless the insurance industry or the insurance company gets involved in a, a bunch of wonky marketing things, and, and then they all of a sudden they go out of business. Um, yeah, or they you know do business with what's his face, well, you know, the Ponzi scheme guy. Yeah, with Bernie Madoff. Yeah, Bernie Madoff. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, another person this might be for is somebody who wants to combine in investing and insurance. So if, if that's what you want to do, go for it. I just don't see why you would ever combine investing and insurance. Why would you do those together when you can do them separately? And with the insurance, transfer all that risk, offset all that risk to the company and and only take risk with your investing. I think we need some guarantees in life. You know, we have a family friend that thinks that's what we're doing because they made the comment to us, well, we don't like to combine our insurance or our investing. Um, I'm like, oh, I'm, we didn't get into it. But I was like, well, that, that's not what we're doing, but yeah. Thank you. Yeah, they are right. <laughs> they're they're right though. Yeah, good for them. They they yeah. 
Yeah, you should give him a book. Mighty <laughs> I've tried book. I've I've tried. You know, it's been years by now, and yeah, if you don't get it by now, folks. You, you're not going to. Yeah. Well, so and then going back to what you just said a, a couple minutes ago, Paul. If this is you, if that describes who you are, and you're always chasing that high rate of return, you're willing to take higher risk. You want to combine insurance and investing because it sounds sexy or for whatever reason. Um, we would recommend instead of getting an IUL or UL, go buy a 20 or 30 year term policy and invest the difference. Yep. I, the term policy is guaranteed to be level for, and a lot of times you may be able to keep that term policy beyond the expiration and just start paying a renewable term, annual renewable term yeah, um, on that, which will be significantly higher, but you could Very still expensive. keep that insurance in place and just say, hey, give me one more year of insurance. Right, I'll do um, them one better. You know, because some people have like these awakenings, right? You get smarter as you get older, supposedly. So someone might wake up during that 20 or 30 year term and realize, oh my goodness, I've been doing the wrong thing. In that case, we recommend you buy convertible term insurance that's convertible into whole life yeah. during the term that's enforced. Absolutely. Even if you hate the idea of whole, whole life, life right. if you do, you're probably not listening to this podcast anyway. Uh, but if you hate the idea of whole life insurance, um, it doesn't matter. Get convertible term insurance because maybe you're, you know, 19 years into a 20 year term policy and you get cancer and, yep. you know, the doctor you still says, have a hey, need for insurance. Yeah. You probably still have a need for insurance and you'd like to keep that insurance in place. You'll be able to convert it without underwriting. Doesn't matter. You're yep. guaranteed to be able to convert it and keep that insurance going for your family's sake. Yeah. What's that so, worth? Yeah. So that's, yeah, that's who we think, you know, universal life would be good for is people with those attributes if uh if you can't and i think that's that maybe that's where i'll go with this when i, I i've worked with people in the past who they just can't get beyond that rate of return like well man the rate of return i could do better in the market or i could do better in a universal life well then i can't help you but if you want to go that route go get a term policy and put put the rest of your money into the market um, right yeah so well that return that they're going to make dave that return is going to go come back to them, hopefully. Hopefully they do have a nice return. Where does that money go? Into somebody else's bank. Right. So you in still haven't case, you still ahead. haven't addressed your need for finance or your or who controls the banking function in your life regardless. And that's what we're getting at with IBC, right? That's yeah. the essence of this. Yeah, you you still haven't yeah, started you have you're not participating in the function of banking, which the pro, the process of bank the process of banking continues whether you're involved or not. That's what Nelson that's says. Right. Yeah. So why not get involved? And the best way to get involved in that and have the guarantees that come with banking, because banking involves guarantees, is through a properly designed dividend paying whole life insurance policy for the function of the infinite banking concept. That's right. Yeah. So yeah, it's uh, before we wrap this up, I, I think we covered all of DC's question, but um, I think, yeah, so I think too. He, he asked, yeah, can you take part in the arbitrage for, you know, in whole life? Of course, of course, you see any, yeah, any cash value life insurance, you can borrow against that cash value. And yeah, you can partake in the arbitrage as long as you can earn on your own a higher um, return on those funds outside than you're paying to the insurance company to borrow that, of course. So if you're paying 5%, you can go earn 10%. Yeah, you can do that with any cash value insurance policy. Yep. Yep. No, that's uh, right. 
And I, w- yeah. I would point DC back to Nelson. I don't know if we're going to wrap it up here, what we're up for time, but I, I would say this. Um, if you haven't read Nelson Nash, uh, and, and I'll say this in general about any, any agent out there, if you're working with an agent and they say, yeah, I know IBC, you need to ask, find out. You can look them up on the Practitioner Finder through the NNI, infinitebanking.org. Or if they're trying to sell you universal life, you automatically know that they are not doing IBC. If you, someone's selling you universal life, they're not doing infinite banking. They they're not. Banking. They're not. Just they're not. plain and simple because in the book, Nelson says in black and white, I do not recommend the use of universal life for this concept. That's right. So in chapter nine of his second book, Building Your Warehouse of Wealth, which is this, this podcast is named after, if you didn't get that, I'm holding it up. But Building Your Warehouse of Wealth, chapter nine, my thoughts on universal life, variable life, and equity indexed universal life, also known now as indexed universal life, IUL. Yeah. Now, Nash talked about it, and he says, bottom line up front, not appropriate for IBC, and here's why. Yeah. Now, what about to the people who maybe have an IUL uh, or universal life policy um, that maybe they've had it for? Like, I'm, I just talked to somebody last week who had has had a policy for the last eight years, mm-hmm. and it's still not to the point where her cash value is growing by more than what her premium is every year. Ooh. Yeah. So that's awful. Yeah, it's uh, pretty bad. It's um, pretty bad. But here's here's the good news: if you have a, a universal life policy and you you have all that cash value and everything. And unfortunately there's surrender charges, sometimes significant surrender charges. If you give that policy up and you want to take your cash value out. Imagine that. Yeah. It's uh don't see those with whole life. No, you don't. No, you just get your cash value. And that's yep. Your cash surrender value. Yeah. Cash, which is always higher than really what your available cash value uh, is right. By, by a little bit at least, but you can, um, as long as it's not a mech, you could actually 1035 that uh, that policy into a whole life policy, which I've done for a couple clients. Sure. And I, I don't do that lightly. Um, right. But in the case of these clients, it was their policy was about to implode. It looked like, you know, it wasn't doing any good for them. It wasn't designed properly. How old the were they? Place. Um, the first client I did that for was 62. The other client I did it for was like 60. So I think they've been in those policies for a number of years and they were getting to the point where they were looking at them and saying, that's, that's not doing what I thought it was going to do. So we rescued them. We moved their cash value over into a whole life policy and, you know, they had to start from year one. So it's going to take a few years to become efficient, but it, it doesn't take very long for it to become more efficient than, than a lot of those policies that maybe were, were designed, you know, not you know, to accumulate that cash value quickly. They added, you know, Nelson was an aviator like like we are, and he always talked about headwinds and tailwinds. Universal life at that age is like a 100-mile-an-hour headwind in your face. Oh, man. Yeah, you're right. It causes so much drag. You're flying 100 knots, and you get a 100-knot headwind. That means your ground speed is zero. <laughs> you're <Where>? not moving. <laughs> the complete opposite. Actually, you're, maybe you're moving. Maybe it's 105 mile an hour in your face. And you're moving backwards now. You're, you're backwards five miles backwards. an hour. Yeah. <laughs> and a lot of people are later on there. With the whole life policy, you're guaranteed to become more efficient every year. So once you're 30 years into it, you've got a. Oh, my God. You've got a you know 150 mile an hour tailwind. So you're. That's right. And a you know, 150 mile an hour indicated. That's 300 miles an hour ground speed. Right, you know, so. I stole this from uh, from James. You know, a whole life policy is the most efficient on the day you graduate. For those of you who don't know what graduate means, the day you die. 
day you die. Yeah. The day you die. It, your right. whole life policy will be the most efficient on that day. That to me, that that's comforting because I know the longer right. I stay in this. So I think again, back to people who might be right for universal life is people who don't have a long, a long look, a, a long-term point of view on their planning and their use of money. Uh, it's very short-term, you know, arbitrage. Yeah. We just, they just, and I'll speak to DC directly again. You know, you just got to get out of the paradigm, the, the investment paradigm. You know, infinite banking, dividend paying whole life is not a this or that process or strategy. And the whole life product is not a this or that product. It's an and. I do this and I do that and I do that and I do that. Yeah. It's just a place to park our capital, right? It's so we can become our own banker. So once you can understand that it's more about banking and finance than it is... Uh, you know, that the whole life product has more characteristics of, of banking. Um, you know, of course, the life insurance companies don't teach this. It took a, a private citizen to, to discover this, right? But um, once you can get past that investment paradigm, I'll say it again, it's just that's when you it'll kind of click for you where it's just it is not an appropriate product. But again, illustrates well, looks great. I don't know how old you are. Looks great when you're 30, 40, 50 maybe. But past that age, as we've seen, it's it's not good. Yep. So to wrap it up, like Paul said, it, it's all about the way you think. So that's how we started. That's how we'll end. It's all about the way you think. So pick up the book, give it a read, as we always say. <laughs> and uh, yeah, and we look forward to, to talking to you. If you guys got, got any questions, um, look us up, send us an email. We're happy to chat. Bring the hate mail, UL guys. Bring it. <laughs> yeah, here it goes. Here it comes. No, it's all in good, it's all in good fun, but... Yeah, we're, we're not right. we're not saying anything bad about the <laughs> the agents. We're just saying nope. something bad about the use of the product for this concept. That's it. So right. There you go. All right, guys. Hey, we'll uh, we'll see you all next week. Hey, thanks for listening, everybody. If you'd like to have a conversation with us to see how you can become your own banker, or if you have any questions or topics you'd like us to tackle on a future episode, please send us an email to David and Paul at theibcguys.com. And subscribe and leave us a review if you're on Apple. Follow and leave us a five-star review if you're on Spotify. And please share this with your friends. We'll see you next week.